My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give participants in a wide range of social change work a chance to take a longer view as they talk about what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Roger Annis. The set of people who articulate fundamental objections to capitalism, and the set of people who think it is important to protect the earth, certainly overlap. It might even be fair to say that most people who think of their politics as anti-capitalist in North America today would identify as being pro-environment, though how central that greenness is to how they actually act politically varies a great deal, and the inverse is definitely not the case. Yet if you look back a few decades, that kind of connection between commitment to a differently organized social world and to protecting the environment was not nearly so obvious. And even today, for lots of us whose sympathies are oriented towards both, how exactly to unify thinking and acting in response to both the exploitation of workers and to the despoiling of the planet is not necessarily clear. There are lots of attempts to work this out in practice, of course, but one strand of thinking and acting in the world that attempts to knit green and red together has come to identify itself as eco-socialism. Roger Annis has spent many years thinking, writing, and acting on the left, and he is a member of the Vancouver Eco-Socialist Group, a relatively new formation. He talks with me about why the group formed, its actions so far, some of its key ideas, and how it wants to contribute to the broader ecological movement in the future. I spoke with Annis by Skype to phone from Vancouver. My name is Roger Annis. I'm one of the founding members of the Vancouver Eco-Socialist Group. From my youngest years, I've been an anti-capitalist, eventually, or soon, became a Marxist and a socialist in my outlook. I've always had an awareness of climate and ecological issues. I grew up politically during the late 1960s and 1970s with a deep awareness of the pollution that capitalist economic activity inevitably creates and really has proven incapable of stopping and controlling But then I guess climate science, as the understanding has expanded over the past 10 to 15 years, has caused myself and others like me and certainly my colleagues in the Vancouver Eco-Socialist Group to understand that we're dealing with an emergency situation. Our past or present understanding takes us to the conclusion that there are economic imperatives that drive the capitalist economic system that make it incapable of bringing its economic activity into harmony with the capacities of nature and, and of planet Earth. So that's roughly how I came to join together with other like-minded eco-socialists and forming our group here and and then reaching out to others in the continent, uh, if not the world. We formed last year in response to uh, what we think is the rather alarming political as well as ecological situation that's facing planet Earth today. Our particular understanding and approach on this issue is that we consider that this capitalist economic system that dominates the world's economy is fundamentally unable to respond to the climate challenge. It's the source of the problem itself, and so we look to promoting a socialist alternative to capitalism as the only way we can ultimately begin to bring the human species and its functioning on the earth into harmony with the ecological capacities and resources of the earth. Just about a year ago, and I wasn't there at the very beginning of the process, but people with some history of left 
collaboration activity together in Vancouver who were paying close attention to the science of climate change and becoming more concerned and aware of what was happening began to meet informally to see what could be done by way of creating an organized presence and advocacy for the ideas of eco-socialism. And so one thing led to another and our first big public event was a speaking tour that brought Fred Magdoff, an editor at Monthly Review, a writer, including several books and many articles on issues of climate and related social and economic issues. We had a successful speaking tour with him in September that put us on the map politically. And so what we've been doing then is planning future speaking tours, but also getting involved in the really quite active and rapidly broadening movement of climate awareness and social justice that's happening in British Columbia. We're in a particularly unique geographic location here that makes the province a real target for an offensive by the fossil fuel industry in extracting or exporting fossil fuels. So these two different factors, the political situation here as it's unfolding, and then the awareness and concern of a group of individuals, that's really what drove us together and to form our group and begin our activity. Many of us are longtime socialists or social rights activists. Most of us have been or are union members and, and active in unions, so teachers, social service workers, some industrial workers. So, yeah, we have a pretty common background in that respect of activism and social justice and also in trade union politics. Most of us are a little bit older, so we're very conscious and aware that we want to reach out to young people and either have our Vancouver Eco-Socialist Group transform itself into a young person's organization or to work in collaboration and cooperation with specifically uh, youth organizations that could be present on the universities, for example. And the, you know, the awareness and concern among young people here is, like everywhere else in the world, is very high. So, uh, yeah, that's a little bit of who we are in our background. You said that the first big public event that you were involved in organizing was the speaking tour with Fred Magda. Tell me a little bit more about why you chose that and the specific messages that you were hoping to communicate in that speaking tour. Yeah, we invited Fred to come and speak because he's a particularly articulate voice of the Marxist and eco-socialist perspective. He's uh, one of the editors at Monthly Review, which is one of the key publications that's providing a Marxist and eco-socialist outlook on the climate challenge. Its key editor, John Bellamy Foster, is a very well-known writer and author in the field of Marxism and ecology. Fred is a co-author of a recently published book called What Every Environmentalist Should Know About Capitalism. It's co-authored with John Bellamy Foster, and it's a very good primer for understanding what it is about the capitalist economic system that drives it to be so destructive ecologically and why this system can't really be brought under a form of social control. It has to be overcome. It has to be transformed. Society has to change towards a planned and socialist economic past. So that book in particular drew our attention to the two authors, and one of them was available to come and speak. We're doing something similar next month. We're bringing a writer from New York City. His name is Richard Smith, and he's the author of a number of key articles in the past couple of years that also explain the underlying economic imperatives and, and laws of motion of the capitalist system that cause it to be so destructive. He has a book coming out the, this year along the same lines. So again, with him, we're bringing one of the key writers and voices of the eco-socialist perspective here that will help raise the profile of the ideas and is very much welcomed by the climate movement itself, which, as we know, is increasingly becoming aware that what we're confronting with the climate crisis is a system problem, a systemic problem of the very economic order that we have in the world. 
these voices really, I think, help to give a coherence to the empirical understanding that people are developing through their own experience of the destructive nature of the economic system that we have presently. If folks know a little bit of the history of both Marxist groups in Canada and environmental groups in Canada, if you looked across the country 30 years ago, for example, they would probably have seemed to be quite different formations without necessarily a lot of obvious overlap. How is it that the two traditions have come to be brought together by people who are now identifying themselves as eco-socialists? It's a very important history. John Bellamy Foster is one of the leading authors that really documented the extent to which Marxism as a social science, when it was founded and developed in the 19th century, was very much rooted in the ecological understanding of the time. Marx himself, Engels himself, the scientific writers of the time that they looked to and collaborated with very much saw the destructive nature of capitalist economic activity even at that time. Frederick Engels' most celebrated book is titled The Conditions of the Working Class in England, and he looked very closely at how heavily polluting the Industrial Revolution was in England at the time to the land and the water, and also the disconnect between town and city on the one side and the countryside where food is produced on the other side was endemic to the capitalist system. So they very much politically grew up in the time of the 19th century philosophy that had a deep, deep understanding of the close ties between the fate of the human race and of the ecology and of the planet in which we live and survive. But a deep disconnect developed over the course of the 20th century. Foster's done just another recent article on this in Monthly Review, where the practical experiences of some of the first countries to attempt to build socialism that is in the Soviet Union and then later in China, saw a deep disconnect between economic activity on the one hand and ecology on the other. Foster argues, and others of the same school argue, that this disconnect between ecology and human activity is not something that was endemic to the basic ideas of Marxism. On the contrary, Marxism is deeply rooted in an ecological sense, but we saw a deformation in practice of Marxist ideas that was carried out by the governments in those two countries and others, in which the maximization of economic production itself was deemed to be an accomplishment of socialism. And this obviously proved to be a very false and dangerous concept that had very lasting ecological consequences for both the Soviet Union and China. And so really the writings of the Marxist ecologists in the past several decades have really helped us to go back and to see that we have to re-knit that connection between ecology and the human race that was broken by some of the practical experiences of the 20th century. And so Marxists today would very much embrace the leading uh, writers and authors of ecology that emerged in the 1950s and 60s as the consequences of capitalist economic activity, the serious consequences, harmful consequences to the Earth's ecology as this began to become more and more evident. Marxists embraced the writings of writers like Rachel Carson, who were deeply aware of and writing about the destructive consequences of capitalism. We've come full circle, in a sense, thanks in part to the writings of some of the authors that I mentioned. Lay out the connection that you and others in the group would make, why there's an inherent connection between capitalism and ecological destruction versus the more liberal notion that, well, we just need to change a few details of how capitalism works and then the environment will be fine. It's in the imperative to growth and expansion that is at the very heart of capitalist economic activity. That was at the heart of the explanation and understanding that Marx and Engels and their co-thinkers in the 19th century provided. Marx, especially in his celebrated book, Capital, 
they really laid bare the economic laws of motion of capitalism itself that really have no constraint. Capitalism is about expansion. That's how capital valorizes itself and continues to grow. A capitalist investor that fails to drive to expansion and growth will be vanquished by his or her competitors. The system has no mechanism of social control to say, well, this is enough. We don't need that because capitalism is not about producing social value. Capitalism is about producing commodities for exchange and sale on the market. In the course of doing that, realizing the maximum profit possible. And this is all done with deep competition between the capitalists of a given industry and also between the capitalist classes of each nation state and how they compete for market control in their own countries and in the world market. So this system that has this deeply rooted drive to growth and expansion doesn't respond to rational social control. And, you know, this can go back over the past several hundred years since the rise of capitalism and the Industrial Revolution to see how this has manifested itself and produced things like wars among the competing capitalists. But it's just so evident today when we see how imperative it is for the world to move away from fossil fuel production, for the world to begin to remit the break that has happened under capitalism between where and how our food is produced and where it's consumed the split between town and country that's so endemic to capitalism. All of this is so evident today that even the world's leading scientists who would prefer not to enter into the world of politics are increasingly obliged to speak out and say that we have a social and economic order that's out of control and has to be brought under control if we're going to save the climate of the earth and therefore the species that live on it. And yet the capitalist countries and the capitalist governments of the world are going in exactly the opposite direction of that, even as the scientific evidence mounts and says we're on a wrong course, we're on a destructive course. Let's shift back to focusing on the group. Tell me more about the kinds of things that the group has been doing, that the group intends to do to be a part of the broader green movement in Vancouver. First thing, as I spoke of earlier, is the educational role that we want to play by putting forward some of the basic ideas of how this economic system works and making known the leading writers and other voices of that. So that's something that we've been engaged in. But secondly, and just as important, is for us to be part of this broadening environmental and ecological movement in this part of the country where we're under so much attack now with the expansion of the tar sands industry in Alberta that wants to use pipeline routes to the BC coast in order to export its product. We have a government here in British Columbia that wants to massively expand the fracking of natural gas in the northeast of the province and then ship it by pipeline to the coast and there it will be liquefied and shipped for exports. The liquefaction process of the natural gas will require a massive expansion of the production of electricity in order to fuel it, or it'll be fueled by the simple burning of the very gas that's fracked in the first place. And then we're also under attack, and that's the term I would use, by the coal industry in North America because, again, British Columbia, the coast here, is a platform for export, and we're, if not already there, then we're very close to a situation where Vancouver is the largest coal exporting port in North America and Prince Rupert is the third largest. So these ports are fed by rail. A growing amount of the coal for export is thermal coal coming from the Midwestern U.S. coal fields in Wyoming and Montana. All of these issues are being very, very hotly contested now because people in the province are increasingly speaking up against the climate change consequences of increased fossil fuel production 
and are increasingly unwilling to see British Columbia used just as a doormat for the export ambitions of the fossil fuel industry. And of course, we have very long-standing issues here in the province of British Columbia, as in the rest of Canada, of how the forests and the fisheries have been exploited ruthlessly by capitalism in a way that's left a very destructive ecological legacy behind. And so those are issues that are ongoing in the province as well. So we're very much wanting to be part of helping to build the broader space movements against all of these ecologically destructive practices because if, as we resist the offensive by the natural resource industries, and I haven't even mentioned mining, which I won't go into even here, as we resist all of this, we move towards the solutions that begin to become necessary, which are ultimately their economic solutions, but to get the economic solutions, we need political solutions. We need a government in this province and we need a government in Ottawa that begins to act on behalf of humans and on behalf of the planet rather than on behalf of the big capitalist interests. And so that's very much what we're part of and wanting to become better at and, and learn from others that we work with in the movement to build the broadest space political movement that we need for the sweeping changes necessary. In the face of that overwhelming spectrum of issues that you just described, what role beyond the educational role that you've already spoken about do you see the Vancouver Eco-Socialist Group playing? Well, we have an activist role with others in the movements, and then, you know, we think we have a particular contribution to make by taking all these issues into the trade unions and winning the unions to an ecological program and practice, because right now our unions are deeply divided over all of these issues. We don't yet have the political or social perspective that sees how ultimately this system has to be changed. And there are some vested interests involved, some unions with members that work in coal mining, for example, or that are part of the ongoing destruction of the forest industry. Uh, other unions and industries I can name, there's a perceived interest of jobs, employment, and of dues to the unions to keep them alive financially that seem to be an impediment towards moving towards an ecological perspective. We think that's kind of a false view, a false outlook. Yes, there are wrenching changes required in the economy where entire sections of the present-day capitalist economy have to be shut down. We have to leave fossil fuels in the ground if we are to avert runaway climate change, for example. We have to radically change forest cutting practices if we are to begin to restore the forests of the province to help and so on. So all that means wrenching economic changes for workers, which we think is imperative and necessary, but society cannot be indifferent to the workers in the resource industries today or in the manufacturing industries that need to be scaled back, such as automobile production. So we need a very concrete and specific transition program for government so that workers have a real alternative that's offered, that we don't have to work in these destructive tar sands in Alberta. We don't have to work in clear-cutting forests. Instead, we can be working in, in food production. We can be working in expanding the social service network that's been degraded so much in recent decades by government and industry action. We can open up whole new terrains of very creative and productive human endeavors in new and different kinds of industries that get us away from this trashing of the environment and instead gets us into very productive and intellectually important work in our lives. And we can all be working less. Most working people today are working not only the traditional 40 hours a week, but they're working endless quantities of overtime or they're living with great uncertainty from one month to the next of if they'll have a job and what to do and so on. Well, 
We need a planned economy that begins to scale back the scope of production and replaces this frenetic economic activity with real and meaningful social and intellectual engagement in an economy. And so that's the program that we have to win the unions to. It's possible to do. It's going to be a very difficult struggle and a very difficult transition. None of this is going to be easy, but the alternative is uh, is the abyss, and we can't let that happen. So let's say that you're having this conversation with a worker who works in some kind of extraction industry, say a union member, and for the person that you're having this conversation with, the prospect of immediate loss for them is very real and very concrete. But both the ecological threat, I can imagine, seems disconnected from their direct experience, as well as the prospect of you know, transition programs and reorganized economies also feel very distant and not at all reassuring in the face of that immediate threat of loss of income if they can no longer engage in whatever this extractive activity is. How do you engage with someone in that situation around these issues? What do you say to them? First of all, we have to appreciate that everyone in society that doesn't have a really heavy stake in the destructive practices that are happening now is coming to an understanding of this. I spent the last 15 years of my life as an aerospace worker where the company we were working for was moving towards entering military production as a way of keeping employment in the factory. Nobody that I worked with was happy about that, knew it was wrong, but where was the alternative? So we have to continue to make the case that we can't allow this destructive activity to happen, but also begin to present the beginnings of the alternative. I'll give a very good example. Instead of having so many resources in this country, and this is true around the world, being poured into automobile production and our entire society, our cities, our intercity connections are all constructed around the automobile, we need a massive expansion of public transit. This can begin to happen right now. It's happening very haltingly in a couple of cities and hardly at all in other cities. So there's an example of how we can today, tomorrow, begin to move to an alternative type of economy and society. The way in which we construct the housing in our cities, I mean, very immediately in Canada, we need a massive program to retrofit housing for energy efficiency. So there again, this is something very concrete and immediate. And then we need to begin to change the very way in which we plan our cities, where they're geared around public transit and where these massive commutes that officer or factory workers are obliged to do to get to and from the job, we begin to close that gap. You can live and work in approximately where the two come together. Agricultural production, we need a massive expansion of agricultural production. In British Columbia, we produce less than half of the food that's consumed here, and yet we're in a very rich region. So if we go through each of the industries, there's actually pretty concrete and specific measures that we can begin to fight for, unions can begin to fight for, and we can strive to build political parties with a program that puts that forward so we can begin to challenge this immediately in the electoral arena. So there's lots of this that's quite immediate and specific if we really put our minds to it. And so that's what we have to make shift towards. Yes, do the educational explanation and understanding of what's needed in the long term, but also begin to engage today in the political and social struggles that can take us in the right direction immediately. We can start moving in this direction and then get towards where we need to be, which is to have a government in Ottawa firmly in place that's committed to these ecological principles. Now, that's going to take a little bit longer, but this is what we can be moving towards today and move as quickly as we can on this path. So what kinds of responses have you been getting, both from other folks that are already actively engaged with green issues, but also from more mainstream sources as well to the kinds of politics, the kinds of ideas that your group has been putting forward? 
the initial response had been very positive because we're saying things that correspond to the reality that we're facing. For example, we're on the verge of wanting to work with others in launching a campaign to oppose the British Columbia government's proposal to expand or create, shall we say, a liquefied natural gas industry based on fracking in the northeast of the province. So we know we're going to get a lot of support and welcoming of that initiative that we're going to take. We're going to try and rally together people as broadly as we can against that. We put out an open letter late last year that was very well received. It was in response to an open letter that four unions here in British Columbia had issued in support of the coal export ambitions of the ports of Vancouver and British Columbia. So we put out a letter challenging that plan that was quite well received and really got around a lot for discussion. So I think, you know, in general, people are very happy to hear that there's now a sharp voice for a clear eco-socialist alternative. I have to say that we're disappointed that the political parties that we might otherwise look towards to begin to create this alternative are not doing their job. Neither the NDP nor the Green Party here in British Columbia have put forward any really substantive alternative course to this destructive fossil fuel uh, and other resource extraction industry development that's proposed. So, yeah, the more we get into this, the more we find that people are saying, yes, these are the ideas and these are the kind of radical alternatives that we need to hear and that we need to get organized around politically. So we're very encouraged that we're still at the initial stages of this and learning about it and getting better at it as we go along, including allying with other forces that are already engaged in many of the same kinds of ideas as us, the Rising Tide movement, for example, which also has a very important and a radical uh, alternative type of societal ideas. So we have lots of friends and allies out here on this as well. What are some of the key things that you're hoping the Vancouver Eco-Socialist Group can do over the next six months or year? To continue with our educational activity, continue with our campaign activity, and I mentioned this very important initiative on liquefied natural gas that we want to take to try and cohere a strong and unified voice against the expansion of that industry. Ultimately, I would like to see us joining with others in entering the electoral arena here. We should get a pro-ecology, it doesn't even have to call itself socialist, but a pro-ecology party that can begin to be present in the electoral arena here municipally, provincially, and joining with others federally. That's probably a little longer term than six months from now, but for example, we have a municipal election here in Vancouver next fall. I think it would be great if we could have a serious pro-ecology, well, I'll call it the pro-human race candidate running municipally because we have a typical municipal government in Vancouver that makes a few resolutions here or there of concern about issues, but it's still very much part of the status quo. That's a little bit longer term, but that's what I would like to see. I'd like to see the eco-socialist and the ecology movement as a whole having a really strong impact and presence in the electoral arena and begin to challenge this destructive capitalist path on its own political terrain. You have been listening to my interview with Roger Annis of the Vancouver Eco-Socialist Group. To find out more about their work, go to ecosocialistvancouver.org. That's all one word, ecosocialistvancouver.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thanks.